great. All right, well, I hope you guys were able either to be here last week uh, to hear our good friend Kurt Miller. Uh, he's a missionary. He and his wife in the Middle East. They're going back sometime this fall. Uh, or if you have not listened to it yet, hey, great thing is to go to YouTube, right? Like virtual is watching it right now. We record all of these, and you can go and listen to it yourself. It was this great listening to Kurt uh, share as he spoke about Mary. Mary, Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany is Mary, the uh, sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. And we, he talked through, and if you haven't read this for yourself, I encourage you. We talked about last week that, man, that family, like this, the Mary and Martha and Lazarus had a really unique relationship with Jesus, right? It was actually very different even from the disciples. You can tell that there was a high level of uh, friendship, camaraderie with them. It was just a, a really cool dynamic of relationship, just seeing that, that this him relating to them. You know, Kurt said last week, just in his opinion, that, that Jesus, when the Jesus wept verse, which was around uh, Mary and Martha and the death of Lazarus, that he was not crying and weeping because Lazarus was dead. He knew he'd be raised back to life, but because of his heart of compassion uh, for Mary and Martha, they were struggling so much. You know, that is when you see someone who themselves is struggling so much, and it hurts them, then it hurts you. And it just shows, and I agree with him, there's just a level of relationship that is really, really cool, and I appreciate about that. And so with that in Mary, then we shift into the moment when, when it says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and anxious about so many things, right? And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and he says, hey, Mary's chosen what is best, and this will not be taken from her. And we talked last week about this understanding, right, that Martha's in this moment, and he's, she's feeling two levels of anxiety and two levels of stress in the moment. Number one, she's doing the work herself, right? She's doing the work herself, and Mary's not helping because she's down to the feet of Jesus. But probably even more so than that, even more so than that, is she is probably feeling the pressure the cultural pressure of Mary sitting at a place that only men are supposed to be sitting in the culture. Have you ever felt that weight before that someone's not doing what they're supposed to be doing and you rec- you can read the room and recognize they're all frustrated and they all have tension and you're like, hey, Jesus, you should tell her to come help me in the kitchen because everyone's frustrated, right? And so that statement that Jesus was making was as much to Martha as it was to every man in the room who was thinking it's not culturally acceptable for Mary to be sitting at Jesus' feet. It's a beautiful picture. And he celebrates Mary for everyone's sake and celebrates her life, celebrates her choosing him. And scriptures. Silent in those verses of exactly what's going on in the life of Mary. But we we know what's going on because she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's sitting in his presence. And one of the fruit of Jesus's presence in a person's life is always love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. He's she's experiencing these sitting in his presence because that's the fruit of authentically sitting in the presence of of Jesus, the fruit of God's spirit with us. And so as Mary is sitting there with all these cultural eyes piercing her and, and Martha up here kind of freaking now with anxiety piercing her, Jesus says, no, what I have for you right now is love, joy, and peace. 
in the midst of all the anxiety, in the midst of all the stress of the moment. So this week I want to continue on, as that is a primary takeaway from last week, and I want to kind of take a next step this morning. And, and the step that we're taking is from the thing we prayed through last week where we said this, anxiety is always an invitation to prayer. Anxiety, tension, stress, worry, doubt, fear, are it's always, every time, it's an invitation from the Lord. Hear this, it's actually a gift. The experience of it in the moment, right, of feeling is a gift from the Lord to say, come and just be with me. Right, it's an invitation. He's not celebrating that you're wrestling, but you know what I'm thinking. That in that moment, like you know, when you have, when 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 you put your hand on a stove that's hot, it's your everything tells you pull your hand back, right? So touching this and having pain, pain is a gift. So you'll move your hand. The idea of anxiety is that the experience of it is a gift. Simply in the same way, it tells us to go to Jesus, go to his feet, sit like Mary did, and enjoy his presence. Anxiety is always an invitation to prayer. And this morning, I want to build on that thought from Paul's letter to the Philippians. We're going to look at specifically chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, but look at different pieces in chapter 1 and in chapter 3. I want to begin by telling you a story I'm going to begin with this past Monday, but it goes back to the previous Tuesday. So on Monday, Randall and Anna Catherine uh, went to um, an oncologist because of some uh, sketchy blood work that she had gotten back. And thankfully in that, she does not. I might have to get the other mic or the handheld. I don't know where it is. I think it's right there. Thank you. I think. You liking that? Okay, just run. Here we go. You're like, I can't use that word. I can. So anyway, I just did. All right. So anyway, we go to this because Rannick and Catherine got back some sketchy uh, blood report. And, and in the context of it, we were told she does not have cancer, nor does she have leukemia. That was a great win for us because on Tuesday, the t- previous Tuesday, we were sitting in staff. We get a phone call from our general practitioner, nurse practitioner, and she starts saying, hey, abnormal blood work, blah, 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 hematologist, oncologist, blah, 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 tumor, blah, 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 leukemia. And we're like, Ah, right. Randall walks out just weeping in tears because that's what you do with parents as parents when you get news like that. And we don't know what's going to happen yet, but you know, your mind just starts racing. All of us have been there about something or someone, maybe your kids. And so from Tuesday up until this past, this previous Monday, as in this past week, we were living in this place that maybe our daughter has cancer or maybe she has leukemia, right? We knew that maybe she didn't, but you know what happened. When all you hear is blah, 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 tumor, that's all you hear. And so in that moment, right, we're like, ah, right, our staff prayed for us. We continued on in life, right? Like, what can we, we can't really do anything. So let's just, let's keep ourselves busy. So I hop in the, I text a couple of buddies of mine, you know, those first line of defense buddies who pray for you, right? And so we're sitting there in the moment and I text my buddy Ash. He texts me back, says, hey man, when you can call, call me. 
like fantastic. I hop in the car. I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a crier. I don't normally cry except when I talk about my kids, when I talk about Jesus, or I talk about my wife, right? And so, or talk about Georgia football. Here we go. So anyway, but you got this thing going on, right? Who won the national championship? I'm going to cry, right? Jay, it's going to happen. So, so in that, I'm in this moment, I'm driving and talking. I call my buddy Ash and he's like, dude, how are you? And I just start talking and uncontrollably I start weeping. I don't ever weep. I don't ever cry. Right. Like I might have a tear come down. I might like that. But I'm like uncontrollable in the moment. Right. It's completely manly to do that because Jesus wept. I just said it. Right. And I'm driving, talking to him. And in that moment, you get it as parents or just anybody who just has a loved one like you, you know, you know, it's like you I might love Jesus, but my brain, I mean, I know life. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm just talking to him, right? I'm just sharing, and I'm in this moment. And so this is our experience all last week. If you talked to us last week between Tuesday and Monday, I apologize. We were not quite ourselves, right? I know there's grace from you. If you were mad at us, get over it. No. So in this dynamic, right, we're seriously experiencing that. And so anxiety, stress, worry, fear, right? Fear pops into the moment, and you're like, oh, my gosh. So on Wednesday morning, two Wednesdays ago, I, I go to be with Jesus, right? Not to go, I didn't die. I like to go to spend time with Jesus. That'd be funny. Kind of really not, anyway. I go to spend time with Jesus. And he takes me to Philippians 4. And Philippians 4 is this beautiful piece. I'm just going to read it to you. You can follow along on the screen here, just virtually on your television screen. Says this, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Your gentleness, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to tell you that this past week that that's what I did. I, I read this. I, I wrestled with the Lord through it for a minute. I processed it with the Lord for a while. I engaged it. And I can tell you honestly that, that by Wednesday and then going into Thursday and Friday, I'd have these moments, right, where fear would try to grab hold and I would just do this. I would just do this. And so I want to share it with you this morning on this journey that I'm in that I'm going to, that we were on that I'm going to kind of share with you specifically what, what Paul has experienced and what's going on in his life this morning as we read through Philippians. So the first thing we begin with is, is verse four where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again. I will say it again, y'all. Rejoice. You can't miss the rejoice, rejoice, double emphasis here in this sentence. It's important and it's very intentional from Paul. So you have to recognize, like our season in that six-day span, it was not natural for them in their season to rejoice. It wasn't natural. You know what natural seasons of rejoicing looks like. Again, 
if Georgia wins the national championship this year, I will be rejoicing. I'll be running around. I absolutely wearing red and black on Sunday morning, and I'll probably show the, this, the winning touchdown, right? Just so we could all experience the joy and celebration of it, right? Marriages and birthdays and all these things and baptisms. These are moments and experiences in life where celebration Jubilation, right, and rejoicing makes sense, but that's not where they are in their life. They're in a season where life is not great. Everything is not perfect, and again, it's not natural. It's important to recognize the Philippians are experiencing some form of persecution to the point that some of them are being put into prison. I'm not going to actually read through this. I'm not going to turn to it. But in chapter 1 of Philippians, verses 29 through 30, Paul says this. says that they are going through the same struggle that he has experienced and that he currently is experiencing. Chapter 1, verses 29 through 30, they're going through the same struggle he has experienced and he's still experiencing. You need to know this. In Philippi, the town of Philippi, there was this woman going around, right, who had a demon inside of her who was mocking as Paul went along. And so Paul just got tired of it and cast the demon out and cost the people who, quote, unquote, owned her lots and lots of lots and money. So they took him and they put him in prison from that point forward for two years in Philippi. He was in prison in chains and then he was sent out from there in the next three years. He was still imprisoned in chains. And when he's writing this letter, he's in Chains. So what's happening here for the Philippians is no different because of the message that he preached and the message that they believed about the person of Jesus. They lived it so well that they went to prison for it just like he did. This, my friends, I don't know if you know this or not, but if everything in your life is taken and you're thrown in prison, it's hard to rejoice. It's hard to rejoice, and that's what they're experiencing So when Paul says rejoice, like us, they could have had a very natural response of like, how can we rejoice in view of the difficulties that we're facing? We're being imprisoned. We're in fear of being imprisoned in light of that, right? Paul, he knows the situation. He tells it to them in verse 29 and 30. He's not unaware, y'all. He's not clueless in the moment. He knows exactly what is happening, But in the moment, he looks at them and says, "Hmm, you can rejoice. You can rejoice. Paul isn't being insensitive. He's not being naive in the moment. He's not shaming them as if they're less spiritual or not spiritual enough. Instead, I believe Paul is inviting them. Hear this. I believe Paul is inviting them to a secret that he has discovered. It's a secret that he has discovered in the midst of his hardship, in the midst of his anxiety, in the midst of his stress, in the midst of these things that are overwhelming in life. There's a secret he's discovered. I think it's a different path than this felt anxiety and hardship and difficulty and fear and worry that they were experiencing, that Paul had experienced, that I experienced last week. I believe that it was a secret and he was sharing it with them. And for us this morning, our goal is to to name what I think is not a very hidden secret, right? It's not a very hidden secret. 
The second thing in this, that with this in mind, is the anchor of knowing Jesus. I'm, not, I'm using this language, but I think what we begin to get to, when we see the secret for Paul, it begins with the understanding of knowing Jesus as his anchor, the anchor of knowing Jesus. I want to read a couple of different verses. You've read them before. I'm not going to dive into them very deeply. I'm just going to read them and kind of, and kind of build something here about the anchor of knowing Jesus. The first one, Philippians 1, verse 21. Paul says, just very simply, for to me, in my life, to live is Christ and to die. That's awesome too, because I get to go be with Jesus, right? He's coming and saying, in the context of my life, anything that happens, whether it's to live or whether it's to die, it's a, it, to me, it's gain, right? To me, it's all about Christ. It's all about Him. Philippians 3, 7 through 11 is the chapter before, chapter 4, right? Chapter before, chapter 4, what before, whatever this says this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ, may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Verse 10. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the participation in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death and become somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. We could spend lots and lots of time on these verses, right? We could spend weeks and months on these verses, right? But I want to focus down and kind of bull it all down to or focus them all down to one point. What Paul's saying is that everything of value for Paul, everything that was valuable ultimately found its source in Jesus, right? In knowing Jesus. He was okay losing all things. Not preferable, obviously, but it was okay as long as he had Jesus, as long as he knew Jesus. What was of incredible value to him? You can see it through Acts, right, of being a Pharisee among Pharisees. It talks about that earlier on in chapter 3. Power and knowledge, these things that were valuable to him, power and knowledge and influence, they are now things that he sees as garbage if he compared them to the beauty of knowing Jesus. Do you hear that? Like, this is not rocket science, Right? But I, I wonder, it's one thing to, to know something theologically, it's another thing to absolutely live it. Like, what would happen for you if literally tomorrow you were taken from your home, everything you had was taken, and you were thrown into prison? It would not be preferable. Paul would not think that it was either. He would not choose in his life to be there. But he would look and say, but as long as I have Jesus, I can rejoice. As long as I have Jesus, I can rejoice. These verses act as an anchor for all of Paul's letter to the Philippian church. These things that we just read, they are the, the center point, in my opinion, of the theology of Paul, the life of Paul, the ministry of Paul and everything in his life was bound, bound up in those verses that I read. The anchor of knowing Jesus. Every personal conviction, every action he calls them to imitate from his life has its source in Paul's primary identity. Knowing Jesus personally, 
intimately, holistically, and completely. Our takeaway is simple. Paul, I think this is on the screen, Paul was able to rejoice because his knowledge of Jesus superseded the weight of suffering. Paul was able to rejoice because his knowledge of Jesus superseded the weight of suffering. The reality of Jesus and knowing Jesus and having Jesus far outweighed his suffering. Stop and ponder that. Think about your own suffering. Think about your own hardship. Think about the things that you're wrestling with. Suffering. Hey, it's not great, but I'm okay and I can rejoice if I have Jesus. This is not some sort of grin and bear it, fake it till you make it mindset. No, in prayer, and here's the secret, the knowledge of God had grown so big and so real that it literally was more real than anything he had ever deemed valuable in life. Even what we have as idols in, our, in the West, comfort and ease. If I were to literally say, Steve, what if you're asking me, Steve, what are the greatest idols that we face in America? I'd say it's super simple. Comfort, the idol of comfort, and the idol of ease, right? Something doesn't go your way. You're like, oh, right? Something your boss is mean to you, oh, right? Your kids are mean, oh, right? We start like, everything's not easy, right? We don't, we don't get the house that we want when we want. We don't get the job that we want when, the way that we want. We don't get the, the paycheck that we want. Like all these things, right? We have these hardships that we face in America that just aren't real hardships, if we're completely honest. We have such an idol of comfort, such an idol of ease. And if it's hard, we're like, oh my gosh, it must be the devil. No, it's just life. But we have these idols. And in it, what Paul's saying, whether it's something as small as these things or something big that's causing anxiety in your life, in all of these places, the knowledge of Jesus, there's a place in it that when you get to it, you may still struggle, things may still be hard, you may, you're still praying for breakthrough, but you're going to make it and be able to rejoice because of the knowledge of Jesus. This should cause us a massive pause. God, is this the life that I'm living? Then he comes on and says, all right, when this happens, be gentleness, verse 5, there'll be gentleness for all, for the Lord is near. Gentleness for all, for the Lord is near. So in this moment, the question Paul is answering that he probably asked himself and his listeners are probably asking him is this, rejoice how? How do, how, how, how? Do you know what's been done to us? Do you know what's been done? Do you know how overwhelming this is for us to be able to express gentleness to those who were causing the hardship, to those who were causing the pain, to, to the situation in general, Paul? Like, this is crazy. You're speaking to a gentleness for all. And he's saying, yes, because when you know Jesus, when you have this intimate place of knowledge of him built in the context of prayer, this place of breakthrough that causes you to rejoice the fruit of your life and in the midst of those who are causing oppression, will be gentleness towards them. You may not necessarily like them a whole bunch in the moment, right? But you can show them gentleness. Why is this important? Because 
Paul is looking at it. Do you remember the story? I can't remember where it is. Sometimes somewhere in the New Testament. And it says that Paul was in chains. It says it's for the benefit of those around me. Because everyone now in this whole province and all the Praetorium Guard have now heard the gospel of Jesus Christ because of my chains. Right? In his life, his gentleness is so evident towards his oppressors. Right? Because the Lord has drawn near and knowing him that he can show them gentleness. Why? Because God's ultimate desire was to save them. God's desire for all oppressors is to save them. In the midst of all hardship, that rather than take it so personally that you get frustrated and then you're angry to everyone around you, no, you know Jesus in your hardship so well that it leads to gentleness towards your spouse. It leads to gentleness towards your children. It leads to gentleness towards your really frustrating boss who's creating your hardship. Why? Because God ultimately loves them and wants to save all. You can just kind of create the picture, just kind of knowing how it worked back in the day and just knowing who Paul is in the context of this gentleness that he's probably telling this from his own personal story. Right? Like I said a second ago, like Paul would get in and he'd have these guys who were in chains and, and they would kind of rotate in and out. And so he had the same guys every day. And, and for five years, probably some of these same guys. And he probably was friends, become friends, at least loved all of them in the moment, right? And he's probably trying to be gentle towards them, even in the midst, maybe they were not gentle towards him. And, and like here, here's a, here's a scenario. It's not a biblical scenario, but it's a historical one that very well could be true just to consider. You know, sometimes, in the day when you have someone who is a servant to someone who is a master, the master makes the servant, maybe the guards, do something that they don't want to do. Maybe they're literally called, say, hey, this is the day we got to flog Paul because it's going on the calendar. It's flog day Friday, right? So we're just going to flog Paul today. It's your job. And he's like, oh my gosh, I've, I, I, I've, I've, I've become friends with Paul. Like, he loves me like no other person's ever loved me. I'm, I'm beginning to believe in his Jesus. And Paul looks at him and says, dude, it's okay, man. As long as I have Jesus, it's enough. You do what you do. I will be gentle towards you and still love you. Can you imagine? Jesus looks down and the guy says, Father, forgive them. Gentleness. They just don't know what they're doing. Some people say that that was that guy who heard that was one of the someone we read in the New Testament who ended up giving his life to Jesus because of that moment. That's his like church history stuff, right? Gentleness. What God is saying is there's this point where we go into prayer and have such a deep, authentic, rich, intimate knowledge of Jesus. I'm just going to say most of us are not there. Okay, most of us are not there. It's okay. We have room to grow. I'm not to shame you, just to invite you into something that's new and fresh and alive for you to know Jesus in this way. So much so that in this relationship that you're in with people who annoy the stew out of you, you just find yourself expressing gentleness because in your relationship with them, the Lord is near. And long as the Lord is near, you're good. 
How did Paul get there? Well, I think he comes, I think he's sharing it with us. Verse 6. Verse 6, his anxiety. These moments led him to prayer. Look at it, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, right? Bring it before the Lord and petition. Again, our phrase from the beginning, anxiety led him to prayer. I think he's showing a model saying, every time these situations arose, I just went to the feet of Jesus. Just went to the feet of Jesus. Not pretending like it's super easy. Not pretending like it's super simple, right? I'm sitting there in the moment wrestling with myself over the fact of what might be going on in my daughter's life. This is overwhelming. I'm, I'm before the Lord. I'm frustrated, right? I'm, I'm overwhelmed in the moment. But these are the things we're giving ourselves to in prayer. God, I just have to know you in the moment. Paul taught things he believed in. And Paul taught things that he'd experienced. Jesus expressed the Lord's Prayer. And I believe that Paul expresses chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, as his philosophy and model of prayer. He's saying, guys, in the midst of my hardship, in the midst of my persecution, in the midst of my chains, in the midst of things that birth anxiety and stress on a daily basis for me, I want to tell you what I did. I want to tell you what I did, and I began to know God. I began to know Jesus so intimately that, man, gentleness came out, and, and this is what my prayer life looked in that moment. I want to share it with you so that you, too, can experience in life. Paul had experienced anxiety, right? He was a human being, right? And everything that we would experience, they had experienced in the face of persecution, oppression, and hardship. He faced it. His life was overwhelming. He had moments where he thought he couldn't make it. He had moments where he thought he couldn't go any farther. He had moments where he thought maybe God wasn't even with him, right? And in his journey towards healing and towards wholeness and restoration, he gave himself the prayer and out the outgrowth was a knowledge of Jesus. That was overwhelming to the point that everything else in life went from here of importance down to here. And if he just had Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus, and as long as he knew that God was near, he would be okay. He could rejoice. He could express gentleness. His anxiety led him to prayer. Therefore, we could say again in verse 6 and 7, I believe this represents a model and philosophy of prayer. So I'm going to break it down for you this morning, not rocket science this morning. You can dive into every single one of these pieces deeper than I'm going this morning. And obviously, I would invite you to do that. So, first thing it says is do not be anxious in anything. Do not be anxious in anything. Paul is not saying you're never going to experience anxiety. He's not saying you're never going to experience moments of despair. He's not saying you're never going to experience moments of worry. We're going to face those, right? But there's a, you know, there's a difference in those moments from going like down into them and just holding them and caressing them all day long in our anxiety, worry, and fear, right? Getting down into the hole with them and saying, you're my only friend, right? Versus looking up and saying, God, I'm not going into the hole. I'm going to you. We go honestly, right? We go in and it's like, God, I am, whatever words you want to use. But we don't be anxious anything he's saying in this. You don't have to experience a life living in a place of anxiety in your life. Anxiety is always an invitation to prayer, right? And so in this, he stopped 
Paul did. He turned to Jesus. In the moments of feeling overwhelmed, out of control, Paul found the answer. He prayed. All forms of anxiety begin to lose their power as a life of communication with God, of silence before God, of solitude before God, of listening to God, and prayer is embraced. Listen, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, literally that Wednesday, like I read this and I'm like, God, I don't want to do that. I just want you to fix it. Right? God, I'm frustrated. God, what this is true. Like I found myself like going in and out of emotion, in and out of emotion in the moment. I'm like, but God, I'm going to embrace this. I feel like you've led me to it, right? So I began to engage and in it, God began to become alive in that, awakened in the moment. I began to recognize his presence. And I didn't know what the future held, but there was a peace and there was a sense of the fruit of his presence in my life, right? Don't be anxious in anything in all things. Go before the Lord in prayer. Anxiety is an invitation to prayer. Second, thing. It says in every situation. I love that. In every situation. Listen, here's a phrase. There is nothing too great for God's power and nothing too small for his fatherly care. Do you hear that? I'll read it again. There is nothing too great for God's power, but there's nothing too small for his fatherly care. Nothing he can't do in his power and there's nothing too little that he won't love you in. Never, ever be afraid to talk to Jesus about anything in every situation. This is a practical piece. Paul's coming saying, listen, I know some of you are in prison and some of you are just sitting at home, right? And you're struggling with your kids in every situation, anything that causes anxiety, in every broken relationship, everything that's causing you fear. He says, then come and bring prayers and petitions. You could spend a long time oversimplified. Prayer here simply means just talking with, speaking to, and listening to God. Right? Communicating with, speaking to, and listening. And then petition means we are requesting things from the Lord. I sat down, had a conversation with the Lord. I was honest with him. I was sharing my thoughts. I gave space and time for him to speak into me. you got to listen. There's no relationship apart from speaking and listening, right? And then I made my request known to the Lord. God, here's what I'm, God, this is what I'm asking you to do. God, here's what I'm asking you to do. So in every situation, prayers and petitions, never forget the Lord's prayer. It says, it says, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, praying for the things that are on God's heart. Give us today our daily bread. Like you're not literally supposed to pray the Lord's prayer. You can. It's actually a model to be broken down of like when you go home, come before the Lord, take time and worship, take time and pray for the things that are on his heart. Third, come down and pray for the things that are felt needs for you. Paul's just naming the same things. Come have a conversation with the Lord. Communicate with him. Make your requests known before the Lord. Take time to listen. But here's when we get down to these last two. These are all super simple. Here are the last two. These are the things that I feel like Paul would write and say, I put these in bold letters to everyone in the Western church. In case you don't know, you're part of the Western church. These are the things we're bad at. Those first three things we're great at, you know, can come in and say, okay, okay, I try to be anxious. How can I turn to you? Okay, okay, in every situation, I can definitely bring you everything. Okay, okay, I can definitely talk to you and I can definitely ask for things. We're all good at those things. But the call that Paul makes here is to thanksgiving. He says, in prayers and petitions with thanksgiving. See, thanksgiving speaks to your posture. It speaks to your posture when you come before the Lord. 
Thanksgiving causes us to stop. It causes us to go, okay, I'm feeling this, right? And I'm not naturally going to be giving thanks. So I have to make a conscious decision to stop and find things to give thanks for. And we begin to give thanks. We begin to, to focus on these wins, the things that God has done. It all of a sudden changes that posture from hopelessness to hope because you begin to remember the things that God has done. We're going to be saying, God, I just thank you, Lord, in the midst of everything going on right now, Thanks, Catherine. God, it's overwhelming. But God, I, I thank you, God, that you're for her and you're not against her. I'm just saying what I pray, and this is my experience. I'm inviting you into my prayer time on my couch in my basement, right at 6 a.m. in the morning. God, thank you. I didn't, I didn't set my alarm as a holy man. I couldn't sleep, so I got up, okay? I just want you to know that. And so I get up and with the Lord, like, God, I read this. I'm going through it, and I literally take my Bible, and I shut it, and I'm like, oh, gosh, God, this is going to be tough. I'm going to take my eyes off of here and put them over here. God, thank you that you love my daughter. Thank you for her life. Thank you that you gave her to me. Thank you that you have a hope and a future for her life. God, I thank you that in the middle of this, Lord, you're with her. Thank you, God, that you understand this more than we do. Thank you for the way that you've moved in her life historically, God. Thank you for the way, God, that you allowed me to love her. Thank you then, that, God, that you love her even more. And I'm confident that you're with her through all of this, God. I'm thankful that you will never leave her, that you'll never forsake her. You'll never turn your back on her, God. Through all things, God, you're with her, God. Thank you. He's calling them to do the exact same in their persecution. He's calling them to change their posture. He's calling them to stop focusing on the issue and to turn and to focus on Jesus and to know him. And they'll know that they know him when gentleness begins to flow through into the relationship that they know gentleness never flows. Thanksgiving is the step that we take. We pull back. We remember everything that God has done. It's a posture change. But here's the last one. This is the one, man. This was, um, this was huge. Verse 7, it's simply a promise of peace. I love that Paul adds to his posture of prayer a promise of God. It says this. It's so good. I'm going to read it. If you have your Bible, you can look at it. It says, in the peace of God. As you do these things, right, is the peace of God which transcends all understandings. Where you get the peace that passes all understanding, right? Transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a message to those of us who are struggling with anxiety and worry and fear and doubt and oppression and the, all the stuff that comes with it. He says, Jesus will guard your mind as you come in and get to know him in such a way that everything in your life pales in comparison to it. And he's enough for you, even in the midst of your hardship. Because here's the thing. This is the thing. This is where we struggle in the West. This was interesting. So I was with a group of pastors this week via Zoom, right, with all our Brady Bunch windows open. And we're talking. This guy named Bayless Conley. Some of you may have heard him. Pastor Bayless out in San Diego. He's got a worldwide ministry. I'd never heard of him. So, but I'm sitting listening to him. He's talking about these four P's of effective ministry for pastors, right? Perseverance and passion, right? It's great. Super helpful. But this is what he said. And I want you all to hear this. This is super important. 
he was going through his thing, all right? This was like the Wednesday. This is the Thursday after the Tuesday after the Wednesday of Philippians 4, all right? And he did this. He was sitting there talking, and he's going, da 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 And all of a sudden, he had the Holy Spirit charismatic one. He goes, like that. He goes, right? <clears throat> I know it. I'm like, ooh, Jesus just said something to him. He's a good charismatic brother, man. He loves Jesus. He listens to the Holy Spirit. He had the moment, and he goes, ah. It's like Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, y'all. And I went, and he starts speaking to this guy named Jason over here who's got some stuff going on. And he's like pointing his finger through the, the computer screen to Jason. But I know God's pointing at me here, right? And he's just talking about it and talking about these verses and walking through it and talking about God's movement and God's faithless and God seeing him and all these pieces. And then he said this, and this is what stuck with me out of all of that. He looked and he says, but guys... And he kind of sat back and he said, recognize, this is important, this is the heart of this, right? Recognize what God's promise is in these verses. He promises peace not to answer the thing that we are praying for. Here's the deal. Never add to Philippians what Paul doesn't say. Don't try to make this more palatable to someone Because Paul didn't, so don't make it easier. Just recognize what he said. Because here's the thing. Paul prayed to get out of prison. He never did. He died in chains. These people who was coming to, he wasn't saying, God, get them out of prison. What he would actually pray is, God, help them to suffer well and show gentleness so that those who don't know Jesus will know Jesus through them. Westerners don't like to pray this. Westerners like to get their McDonald's fix from Jesus quick and easy. And what Paul is saying is, guys, I'm not promising you that God's going to answer you for getting out of prison. He can and he might, and we pray that he will. God may answer that. But what I can promise is that in the middle of it, you can rejoice because you know Jesus Because he is so near to you, and you will know it's present when you're able to show gentleness to those in your life that it's most difficult to show gentleness to. And he would say, if you were sitting there, he'd say, guys, that's my story. That's my story. I love it that Paul only taught things he believed in because he experienced it. And then Jesus blessed it to become scripture. It's scripture and true today, but for Paul, it was just his life experience. It's important to know the caveat. Paul didn't know he was writing scripture when he wrote it. He was just writing it as a a father to those whom he loved to help them through his own life experience. The promise was for peace. See, in that moment, I prayed and like, God, went Tuesday, Wednesday morning. It's really cool on Thursday morning, y'all. Like I had that thing with the Lord about Philippians 4 on um, Tuesday. I woke up. I woke up into a dream state on Wednesday morning, and I was praying this. 
Philippians 4. I was just quoting it. My spirit man on his works, my spirit man was alive, was awake when I was, uh, when I was not awake, and it was literally, I woke up, and I found myself, I'm like, I'm quoting Philippians 4, 4 through 7. I've been doing this for a while now because it's just flowing naturally. I literally, in my dream state, was literally praying this as I was waking up on Wednesday. I remember driving, excuse me, on, excuse me, on Thursday, on Thursday, I was on Thursday morning, right? That's why it was so cool when Pastor Bayless began to speak because I've been praying it all day long. And then he says that. Here's the point this morning, y'all. Philosophy of prayer. The model of Paul. Let's just all agree, we haven't quite attained that yet. And that is awesome because there's no shame in it. It's just simply the invitation to something that Paul knows is available to all who read this. And that's the invitation this morning, we're going to a time of worship and prayer this morning. We have ministry teams that will be available. Y'all go ahead and come. And in that, what I want you to do in ministry, I'll we'll have teams who can pray for you. So you're like, Steve, man, I just... I just, I, I just would love someone to pray for me this morning, right? In every situation, anything that's going on, whether you think it's big or whether you think it's small, in every situation, right? Never forget, God's power is, nothing's too big for God's power and nothing is too small for his Father's heart, right? So I invite you just to come and get prayer this morning from our prayer teams. They just love to love on you. They love to pray for you. You're like, I, even like, even you say, I, I can't do this. Then they're just going to pray for God's grace. That's the work of God's spirit in your life to empower you to be strong and to do the things that you're not strong enough to do. Or maybe this morning you just get your, get your phone out with your Bible or your phone app and you start open to Philippians 4 and just start practicing this. Do it now. Begin to bring these things to the Lord. Here's what I would say. I want you all to hear to this. Do your best. This is really important. This is a great Western issue. Rather than spend time in your mind trying to find the small fault in the things we've talked about this morning and to focus on the little things, why don't you submit and surrender yourself to Jesus and just say, God, I don't know you in the way that I can. And I want to take the journey this morning to know you that way. Let me tell you what happens when you know Jesus that way. Life's better. Doesn't mean it's easier. It's just better. So Jesus, do what you do. Father, I pray that you'd overwhelm us.